The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. And welcome to the Authentic Living Show today. We're so happy to have Dr. Joe Dispenza here to talk with us. There is so much said today about being yourself that we get really confused about who that really is. We bat around the word hardwired when we speak about being ourselves as if we're sort of doomed to repeat the same dysfunctional patterns or whatever it is that we have in our lives that we call personality. But today we're talking with Dr. Joe, author of the books Evolve Your Brain, The Science of Changing Your Mind, and the topic of today's discussion, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, how to lose your mind and create a new one. He tells us that a new science is emerging that empowers us to create the reality we choose. So today, he's going to provide us with a few tools we can apply in order to make those changes necessary to creating our own lives. Dr. Joe Dispenza is a neuroscientist, chiropractor, lecturer, and author who speaks internationally on the role and function of the human brain. He's one of the scientists, researchers, and teachers featured on the award-winning film, What the Bleep Do We Know?, and he was a guest, uh, has guest appearances on the theatrical di- director's cut, What the Bleep Down the Rabbit Hole, as well as the extended quantum edition of that same film on a DVD. He's also featured on the recently released film, The People vs. the State of Illusion, where scientific and medical professionals explain the latest information on neuroscience, biochemistry, psychology, quantum physics, sociology, and consciousness theory. But lest you think we're going to wax intellectual here, we want to be clear that today's show is really all about trying to figure out how can we can create the reality we choose for our, for our lives and our minds even. So, Dr. Joe, welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Andrea. It's a pleasure to be with you. All right. Well, let's just sort of leap right in there. Uh, before we do anything else, we kind of got to get some definitions going here. So tell us first, if you can, what is the quantum self or the quantum us? Well, you know, there's a few ways to look at reality. And, and when Descartes and Newton made the first attempt to understand the nature of reality, one of the things that happened as a result of their inquiry is they created a separation between mind and matter. And anything that was repeatable or predictable that was in the outside world fell into the, you know, category, categorization of the sphere of science. But anything that had to do with the mind that was too unpredictable or too immaterial in the inner world fell into the category of the, theor- the sphere of religion or the sphere of mind. So those two functions of the inner world and the outer world somehow were uh, divided so that we can, um, you know, understand the nature of reality and how big things operate in the universe. Uh, the universe, according to those guys, 
They said it functioned kind of like a clock or a machine. The mechanistic model of reality uh, is somewhat helpful because because of those guys, we can shoot a rocket to the moon and we can predict when we leave our home and go to the grocery store how much time it's going to take. If an apple falls from the tree, we can figure out the distance it fell. And, and so there's universal laws that uh, Newtonian physics and uh, Descartesian um, philosophical understandings allowed us to navigate in our world. But when quantum physics came around, an amazing thing happened. Somehow, matter and mind were related. In other words, subjective mind, the observer, observing the nature of reality, somehow had an effect on the objective world. And so when quantum physicists began studying subatomic particles like electrons and photons and atoms, this amazing thing happened, and that is that the electron uh, existed in some way as a wave of possibility of energy, that the atom is 99.99999% nothing, it's energy, and very, very small percentage particle. And when it exists as a particle, it only exists as a momentary phenomenon before it turns back into energy. But when they began to measure those waves, something amazing happened. They collapsed into a particle when the observer was looking for it, when it was, the observer was measuring it. And for the first time, they began to realize that subjective mind creates an effect on the objective world. And so quantum physicists may say, well, that's really great uh, because, you know, it, we can exert measurable changes on subatomic particles, but the observer effect works. But it doesn't really work for very large things like events in our life. And, but maybe the question is that maybe we're just poor observers. Maybe we can exert greater efforts and increase our ability to pay attention and begin to demystify some of these understandings so that we can begin to create the life that we choose. And so we can observe reality, our life, from the same level of mind every day because if we do, our observation will keep everything the same we literally have to change our mind in order to produce a change in our life. Okay, so the, the question, uh, chicken or the egg, is always out there, nature or nurture, but obviously both have been thought to have some impact on us. So if we can talk just a little bit about each one separately, uh, what, how do you begin the process of overcoming your environment then? Well, this is a, this is a great question. Well, if you believe on some level that the way you think has some effect on your life, that your thoughts have some input on your destiny, then we would have to agree then that if you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed on the same side and then you shut the alarm clock off with the same finger and then you slip into your favorite slippers and you shuffle into the bathroom and use the toilet like you always do and then you look in the mirror to remember who you are and you wash yourself in the shower the same routine way you always do and use the same shampoo, groom yourself to look like everybody expects you to look, go downstairs and drink coffee out of your favorite mug, and then drive to work the same way as you did yesterday, see the same people that push the same emotional buttons, do the things that you've memorized and can do so well, then hurry up and go home so you can hurry up and check your emails, so you can hurry up and go to bed, so you can hurry up and do it all over again. We could say then that your brain didn't change at all that day, that it was the environment that was controlling how you think and feel. Now, neuroscience says that your brain is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. 
Your brain is a reflection of your environment. So as you see the same people and go to the same places and do the same things and experience the same events that create the same emotions, we could say that it's the external environment that's turning on different circuits in your brain causing you to think equal to everything that you know. And as long as you think equal to everything that's familiar, everything that you know, you keep creating more of the same life. So to change then is to think greater than the environment, to think greater than the conditions in your world, to think greater than the circumstances in your life. And every great person in history knew this, whether it was Martin Luther King or William Wallace or Mahatma Gandhi or Joan of Arc or Madame Curie, Queen Elizabeth I. They all had a vision or a dream that was much bigger than them. Couldn't see it, couldn't smell it, couldn't feel it, couldn't hear it. But to them it was alive in their mind. It was beyond their senses. So the question is, can we believe in a future that we can't see or experience with our senses yet, but we've thought about enough times in our mind that our brain is literally changed to look like the experience has happened? Neuroscience says it's absolutely possible. So then we can change the brain to look like the event has happened, and we can begin to install the neurological hardware so now we're greater than our environment. We're actually ahead of our time, and every great uh, person in history or every leader was usually ahead of their time. Yeah, and that goes along with some of the research that's being done now about trauma and how trauma can change the brain chemistry, and then uh, we can certainly work to change it back, according to your theory. Is that correct? Um, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely the truth. And, and, you know, thoughts are the language of the brain, and feelings are the language of the body. And when we're in the midst of a traumatic experience, or any experience for that matter, Everything we're seeing and smelling and tasting and feeling and hearing, all of our five senses are plugged into the environment. And as we're gathering all the sensory data, all that information rushes back to our brain and it causes jungles of neurons to begin to organize themselves into patterns. Now, the moment those neurons string into place and organize into networks to reflect the environmental experience, the brain releases a chemical. And that chemical is called a feeling or an emotion. And we can remember experiences better because we can remember how they feel. You can remember where you were on 9-11. You can tell me where you were, uh, what time of day it was, who you were with. You could tell me everything about that experience because the moment you were seeing that information and hearing what was being said and feeling differently, the moment you felt differently inside of you, you paid attention to whatever caused it outside of you. And that event in and of itself is called a memory. So with traumatic events, the high quotient or the high charge of emotion that comes from an experience that's traumatic begins to brand the brain neurologically and begins to mark the body emotionally. And what most people don't know is that when they think about experiences that have happened, they produce the same chemistry in the brain and body as if the event was happening. Now, your body is your unconscious mind. And it doesn't know the difference between an experience in your life that creates an emotion and an emotion that you fabricate by thought alone. So in time, as we continuously remember traumatic events, we literally begin to produce the same chemistry and the body of the unconscious mind believes it's in the same experience 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and the body begins to live in the past because emotions are a record of the past. And so the difficulty is, 
is we can't create a new future holding on to the emotions of the past. It's impossible. Right. So, so as the brain chemistry changes with more of, uh, in that terms of overcoming, the brain chemistry would change by thinking different thoughts. Do, do the thoughts actually impact the brain chemistry? Well, <clears throat> and we just again, have just a few minutes left, so I want to be sure and close well, that one. Let's say it's simple, okay? Yeah. Personality creates your personal reality. And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's listening to this show has created the present personal reality called their life, which means if you want to create a new personal reality, then on a fundamental level, you would have to change the thoughts that you think, behaviors that you demonstrate or the habits that you live by, and the emotions that you've memorized that's become part of your personality. And because of neuroplasticity and because of epigenetics, we can change the brain and body to be somebody else. Okay, so when uh, we're going to come back and talk about this right after the break, but when we get to that place where we're thinking, okay, I've realized now that I've patterned my life after my emotions, what I have to do is think different. And what, what I want to talk about after the break is how, we, how the thoughts actually change the brain chemistry because it feels a little bit like trying to type on your computer to type out a letter to yourself would change the hardwiring and that doesn't seem to fly. So we want to talk a little bit about that when we get back from the break. Those are the questions I get from people. Um, So we're going to take a break right now and we'll be back in just a minute with more from Dr. Joe Dispenza about changing your life to what you want it to be. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Dr. Joe Dispenza today talking about his latest book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. So we talked during the uh, early part of the show about um, a little bit of neuroplasticity, the term that is scientifically used to describe uh, the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming some new neural connections throughout your life. But um, what you're specifically talking about, Dr. Joe, is is um, actually changing your brain chemistry through changing your thoughts. And the question I had just before the break was, how do thoughts work to change actual brain chemistry? Oh, this is a great question. Now, every time we have a thought, we make a chemical. And if you have a great thought or an unlimited thought, you turn on a set of circuits in your brain in a very specific sequence, specific pattern, and a specific combination that produces a level of mind that turns on another part of the brain that makes a chemical for you to begin to feel exactly the way you were just thinking, great or unlimited. If you have a negative thought or an unhappy thought, you turn on a different set of circuits in your brain, a different sequence, a different pattern, a different combination that produces a different level of mind that makes a different blend of chemicals for you to feel exactly the way you were just thinking, which is negative or unhappy. Now, the moment we begin to feel the way we think, because the brain is in constant communication with the body, we begin to think the way we feel. And then once we think the way we feel, we begin to feel the way we think. And then the cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking over time creates what I call a state of being. Now, a state of being is when mind and body are working together or when our thoughts and feelings are aligned to a concept. So if a person has an insecure thought, in a matter of seconds, they're going to begin to feel insecure. The moment they feel insecure, they're going to think more insecure thoughts. And some people do this for 20 or 30 years on end. And if they keep firing the same thoughts, the principle in neuroscience says that nerve cells that fire together wire together. And over time, they begin to think the same way, they begin to behave the same way, they begin to feel the same way, and the brain fires in a very finite pattern. And that signature, neurologically, that finite pattern is like a box in the brain that we call an identity or a personality. And that begins to, you know, for the most part, for most people, according to the psychological model, begins to become pretty difficult to change after we're 35 years old. Because by the time we're 35 or so, we become a set of memorized behaviors and emotional reactions, a set of beliefs and perceptions that are hardwired programs just like any computer program. So now a person wants to change and they're going to use 5% of their conscious mind to go against 95% of what they've memorized subconsciously. So the body actually becomes the mind in this process emotionally because if we keep thinking and feeling the same way, over time we memorize the emotion of unworthiness or insecurity. And once the body is the mind, that's a habit. So it seems like the greatest habit that we have to break 
is the habit of being ourselves. And so in the book, that um, Breaking the Habit, one of the things I talk about specifically is that you can't think positively with your 5% of your conscious mind if you've memorized negativity in your body, because that's mind and body in opposition. You can pray all you want for a new life or create a dream board for abundance, but if you feel guilty or you feel unworthy, that's mind and body in opposition. We have to recondition the body to a new mind, and we actually have to get into the operating system of the subconscious programs, and that's when we begin to make the most measurable changes once we get beyond the analytical mind where all those programs exist. Okay, okay. So analytical mind is where those, that programming exists. That, uh, that would be more like in the frontal lobes, right? Well, <clears throat> it's actually more than the frontal lobe. It's actually a part of the frontal lobe, but in addition to it, what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. Now, I'm saying this because most people try to analyze their problems to come up with an answer. The difficulty is, is they're analyzing the problem within the emotion that they're experiencing or have memorized. And because emotions are a record of the past, they're analyzing their problems with a mind from the past. And this is where people get stuck because the further they analyze their problems, the further they move away from the subconscious program where they have to actually make the change. So the frontal lobe is a way for us to quiet down the analytical mind when we're in a meditation or when we're in a contemplative practice because what the frontal lobe does really brilliantly is it acts like a symphony leader. It begins to look out over the landscape of the entire brain, and when we're truly focused and we're truly paying attention, it lowers the volume to the circuits in the brain that have to do with our normal thinking, uh, egocentric behaviors that are driven primarily by those chemicals and hormones of stress. And the more stressed we are, the more analytical we are. The more calm and relaxed we are, the more we slow down our brainwave patterns and we begin to move into that, uh, what we call alpha pattern, which is where the inner world is more real than the outer world. When we're in our analytical mind or when we're driven by the hormones of stress and we're functioning in beta brainwave patterns, a higher analytical process, the outer world is more real than the inner world. And so to get beyond that analytical mind of always is a challenge because right on the other side of that analysis is where all the solutions exist. Right. Okay. So when you talk about overcoming, what you want to do is get to that solution over the other side of the wall. But I want to be clear before we go any further into that. When you talk about um, um, changing your mind and, and breaking the habit of being yourself, you're not talking about breaking the habit of being your authentic self. You're more talking about the breaking the habit of being that person who lives in the survival mode. Is that correct? <clears throat> exactly. We, when we talk about breaking the habit of being ourselves, we have to break our habits of thought, our habits and behaviors, and our emotional addictions because most people, what they don't know is that as we begin to live by the same emotions every day and those cycles of thinking and feeling create a chemical continuity that becomes so familiar to us, the moment we want to make a change and we stop um, thinking the same thoughts and behaving the same way and living by the same emotions, the body, which has become the mind, goes into chaos and the body begins to send signals back to the brain because it's being robbed of its chemical continuity. And because it's modified its receptor sites to receive more chemicals of suffering or unworthiness or insecurity, the 
body all of a sudden doesn't feel like its normal self, and it begins to send messages back to the brain, and all of a sudden we start to hear that chatter in our head that says, why don't you start tomorrow? This isn't a good idea. What's wrong with you? You're too much like your mother. This doesn't feel right. And we, when the body becomes the mind and it begins to try to unseat our efforts, if we respond to that, that chatter or those voices, we return back to the same self. Now, neuroscience says because of the size of the frontal lobe that we have the ability to pay attention to how we think, to think about how we think, to notice how we feel, and to become aware of how we're behaving. And because we can do that, we can modify our behaviors to do a better job in life. And that, that's called metacognition or mindfulness, that we can become aware of who we're being, observe ourselves. And once we can observe ourselves, we can begin to create new paradigms, new, new designs, new ways of being that allow us to adapt to the conditions in our life, and that's called evolution. Right. So, so the, the primary method you use to go about this and, and is, is through meditation, and we're going to talk some more about that in a little while, but I want to ask you first, you talk about us having three brains. What, what does that mean? What are, what are the three different brains and what do they do? Well, I always say we have three brains that allow us to go from thinking to doing to being. Now, your thinking brain is called the neocortex. That's that corrugated walnut that sits on the outside there. It has all those folds and valleys and bumps. And our neocortex is the seat of our conscious awareness. Um, we're speaking and we're using our neocortex. It's, it's where we, the, the home of the you and the me exists. And it's what plugs us into the environment, to the external world. And its, it's main function is to gather information. As a matter of fact, every time you learn something new, you forge a new synaptic connection in your thinking brain. That's what learning is. Learning is making new connections. Remembering is maintaining and sustaining those connections. So it's the philosopher. It's the theologian. It's the, it's the knowledge gatherer. It's the seat of the intellect. Now, once you learn information, the next step is to apply it, to personalize it, to demonstrate it. And when you take what you learned intellectually and you do something with it and you modify your behavior to match your intentions, you're going to have a new experience. The new experience is going to create a new emotion, and you're going to activate the second brain called the limbic brain or the emotional brain. Now, once you have a new experience and you feel differently than when you felt before because you applied that knowledge, you're beginning to embody knowledge. The word is beginning to become flesh, and you're literally signaling new genes in new ways, and you're teaching your body emotionally to understand what your mind has intellectually understood. So knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body. So once you feel compassion, once you feel success, once you feel like a great parent because you read the book on any one of those three items and you did what the book said, when you have that new experience, now you're beginning to embody success. You're beginning to embody compassion or being a great parent or a great steward. But it's not enough to do it once. We have to repeat the experience over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, and we continue continuously do it over and over again, we activate that third brain called the cerebellum, the seat of the subconscious mind. And when we've done it enough times that we neurochemically condition the body to memorize compassion or success or uh, a great parent as well as the conscious mind, now it's innate in us. And now it's second nature. And we don't even have to think about it any longer. It's who we are. And as a matter of fact, when we're in a state of being, we could say that mind and body are now working as one. 
and the universe tends to respond to who we're being. So going from thinking to doing to being is when we begin to integrate it so well into a who we are that we've memorized an internal neurochemical state that is greater than anything in our environment. No person, no thing, no experience can move us from it, and that's when we begin to master different aspects of ourselves. Wow, that's really beautiful, and that goes right along very well um, with the whole concept of, of what people are doing with, uh, say, for instance, uh, for instance, Jungian therapy or um, transpersonal therapy, where you're you're looking at how you think, you're doing the metacognitive skills, you're finding out who, how you think and what you do, what are your pattern of behaviors, and then you're changing some of what you do, and then you continue to change what you do, and you your psychology begins to change and your dreams begin to change and you, you think differently and you feel differently and then you are differently and different and, and that's the same exact process. So that's very, very interesting. And we have to take a break now, but we're going to be back with Dr. Joe Dispenza talking about his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. Stay tuned for more. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Five seven nine five. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by a for- Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation. 
through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. We're talking today to Dr. Joe Dispenza about his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. And, and he has just explained to us how it is that we begin to shift into uh, who we actually are as opposed to who we've been habituated to being. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about now about how it, meditation impacts that. What impact does meditation have on the brain? Well, the whole purpose of meditation, as we said earlier, Andrea, is to get beyond the analytical mind. Now, meditation is a great tool to use because it allows us to enter into the operating systems where all those automatic programs exist. And because of brainwave technology, we're able to understand that when you and I are in in our level of conscious awareness, that the brain actually produces specific type of brainwave patterns called beta wave patterns. Now, there's three levels of beta brainwaves. You have low-level brainwaves, beta brainwaves, and that's if uh, you're reading a book that you're really enjoying and you're just sitting on the couch. You have a certain level of conscious awareness, but your body's actually relaxed. So there's not a high amount of vigilance that's taking place in your neocortex. But because of beta brainwaves, the outer world primarily is where all your attention is. Now, if I said to you, now, Andrea, I'm going to test you on this book, and if you don't pass the test, can't eat dinner tonight. Now, the moment you have to perk your brain up and begin to think about what you learn and recall it, your brain moves up into a mid-range beta pattern because it's going to become a little bit more attentive and a little bit more uh, um, excited. And it's like taking a dimmer switch and turning your, your brain uh, like, like a light bulb, you're going to make it a little brighter. You're going to ask for more energy up there. Now, when you and I function by the hormones of stress, when we're reacting and we're aggressive or angry or fearful or sad or depressed or insecure, any of those emotional states that are driven by the hormones of stress, the brain goes into what's called high beta. And in high beta, that's when the brain is in emergency mode and it's functioning in a very incoherent brainwave pattern. In other words, different compartments of the brain that normally talk to each other are no longer communicating at all. It's like a house divided against itself, or better yet, it's like having a multiple personality disorder but experiencing all the personalities simultaneously. That's when the brain is unfocused, it's incoherent, it's disintegrated or disorganized, and the body moves uh, 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 and brain moves dramatically out of balance. Now, when we begin to close our eyes, and we begin to eliminate the external environment. We decrease sensory input that's coming from our visual cortex, our visual centers. And at the same time, if we play soft music in the background to to remove ambient sounds and we put our body away, and we begin to relax our body because there's less information coming in through our senses from the external environment, then our brainwaves naturally slow down in our neocortex and they go into what's called alpha brainwave patterns, which are slower brainwave patterns. Now, in alpha, the inner world is more real than the outer world. It's the daydreaming place. It's the place where thought becomes more real than anything else. And because we're analyzing less, our brainwave patterns change, and we begin to slip into the operating system. Now, if we go a little further into what's called theta brainwave patterns, 
that's when there's very little neocortical activity, and that's when the body is asleep and the mind is awake. Now, if we've conditioned the body to be the mind and become the automatic program subconsciously, the moment the body is asleep and the mind is awake, the body's no longer the mind, and that's when instantaneous change can take place. So we use meditation as a mode for people to understand that in order for them to change, the process of change requires unlearning and relearning. It requires breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing a new self. It requires pruning synaptic connections, what we say in neuroscience, and sprouting new connections. It requires unmemorizing emotions that exist in the body and then reconditioning the body to a new mind or to a new emotion. It literally means giving up the energy of the past and creating a new energy of the future. And the word meditation literally means in Tibetan to become familiar with. So if we're going to become familiar with the old self, the old thoughts, the old behaviors and habits, and the old emotions, and we bring them to, into our conscious awareness by going into the operating system and observing who we were being, the moment we begin to observe the old self, we're no longer the program, but the consciousness observing the program. That process allows us to begin to objectify our subjective mind. And this is when we begin to become so aware that no thought, no behavior, no emotion would cause us to turn, return back to the old personality because we would never let any of those things slip by us unnoticed in our waking day. Now, this is like clearing the chalkboard of the old writing. And now you say to yourself, who do I want to be? And as you begin to think differently, and as you begin to plan, what would greatness be like? What would health feel like? Uh, how, what would I have to do in order to have these things happen in my life? As you begin to conjure up new ways of being, you're forcing your brain to fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations, and you're literally firing and wiring new circuits that become literally, by definition, the hardware. You're installing the neurological hardware to literally have something in place for you to use in your day. And if you can make that thought the experience in your mind, the end product of an experience is called an emotion, and you will begin to feel like that new self. You will literally begin to move into a state of being. And if you can get up in that modified state of mind and body and maintain that state of being your entire day, independent of your environment, something should something differently should happen in your life. That's the law. That's the quantum law. So now we're going from cause and effect, the environment controlling how we're thinking and feeling, that Newtonian, Darwinian concept of reality, to changing how we're thinking and feeling inside of us to cause and effect. And once we're able to cause and effect in our life by our own mind and we experience a synchronicity, we pay attention to what we did inside of us and we do it again. And now we've just gone quantum, and the side effect of all of this is that the human being begins to become empowered, and they feel like they're creating life on their own terms, and I call that the natural state of being. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I was just um, having a conversation with someone a few days ago about the whole idea of divine self and oneness and all of that and how that impacts our thinking about who we are and Somebody said if we're empowering the self, we're eliminating the concept of oneness. And I, I, I was like, wait a minute, oneness is the self. The self is oneness. 
and I was having a real hard time with that, of trying to put that in my brain. But, but it sounds like what you're saying is that we get in touch with who we actually are, and whatever you call that, whether it's authentic self or divine self or no self or self, as, as the Buddhists do, whatever you call that, it is much more genuine than this other habituated form of being that is, is based on we've got to survive, the whole idea of surviving. Well, that's a great, great <clears throat> astute observation, Andrea, because for the most part, if you reason this, you know, most people, when they're living in survival and they're living in stress, the senses are enhanced, and what happens is, is we function as materialists and we become selfish. We become self-involved, self-centered, self-indulgent, you know, self-serving. It's all about the self because those, those hormones cause us to believe that we're a body in an environment in linear time living separate from that unified field. When we are in a creative state and we are living in a state of creation and the forebrain is actually controlling the hindbrain, we actually forget about ourselves. We become nobody. We become no thing. We become no time. We become immaterialists that are actually feel connected to something greater. And in that state of selflessness, we're still functioning as an individual, but we're connected to a field of possibilities. And instead of focusing on the small percentage of the atom that's the particle, you know, feeling separate from possibility, we, we're focusing on that 99% plus of the atom where all possibility exists and we're no longer trying to force the outcome or trying to control the outcome, but we're actually trusting in the outcome because we feel connected to something greater. And when we live in that state, you know, we can only talk around this, but when we live in that state, you and I are at our best because instead of having all the energy being squandered for emergency situations and trying to predict the future based on the past because that's what those hormones do. We're in the present moment. We feel empowered. We feel connected to something greater. We don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen. And that is the thrill, really, where the human being gets to say, okay, let, let the universe provide it in a way that's right for me. I don't want to get in the way of it because if I'm going to try to predict the outcome, then it's nothing new. Now, getting to that point where we can surrender that elegantly um, takes quite a bit of practice because we're so hardwired to try to always get what we want on our own terms, and yet it's a delicate balance between intention and surrender, and um, it's something that, that uh, you have to engage in on a daily basis. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, and it really, that's very well put. I really appreciate you saying it that way because it is a delicate balance, and it, and and. We, we have to know which part of us is pushing on that, uh, you know, that, that end of the seesaw, if you will, to uh, keep us uncentered off the fulcrum and into some part of ourselves that might not necessarily be who we actually are. Uh, and so it, it is disempowered automatically. And you have to be comfortable living in the unknown. And, Absolutely. Uh, yep. And when you're, when you're running by the hormones of stress, the unknown usually, you know, historically means a threat, right? I mean, most... Most creatures in nature, most organisms or species in nature, when there's something unknown showing up, it's better chances of survival if you run from the unknown than you embrace it. Yep. Let's come back right after this and and talk some more about that. We're going to take a break right now, and we'll be back with Joe Dispenza in just a few more minutes.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. It's time to deepen your spiritual awareness and enhance your relationship with God. Listen for Into the Mystic, a journey of self-awareness and empowerment with your spiritual pathfinder, Jennifer Elizabeth Masters. Jennifer shares her own personal spiritual journey and practices with you to help you deepen your connection to the divine and ultimately become enlightened. Let Jennifer help you experience your inner radiance. Become a part of Into the Mystic every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking with Dr. Joe Dispenza about his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One. And I had to interrupt him last time when he was talking about the survival mode. So let's, let's go ahead and, and, and let you finish that up, if you will. Well, it's just kind of ironic because, you know, in order for us to get something new to happen in our life, we have to give up the very thing that we've used our whole life to get what we want. And um, so when we're living in that state of survival, um, there's really no room for the unknown because for most of us that are living in those stressful states, we're going to resist the unknown or the uncommon because we can't predict the outcome. And and that's a threat that actually reinforces those stressful states. And so being able to restrain our impulses and our reactions and trusting in something greater is, a, oh, it's such a leap of faith. And at the same time, it takes that type of ability to stay present, to not try to fill in uh, that unknown experience with something that we think uh, should happen or the way it should happen. And, and um, that's the art. I mean, it's the best way to say it. It's the art of, of creation. Yeah. Yeah, and it gets real confusing. There's a lot of talk out there about the law of attraction, and I've certainly written a book about that myself. It it talks about that whole idea of what we really mean by the law of attraction. And what I hear you saying today is what what we really mean is that we are we we have a need somewhere deep inside of us to to become who we actually are, as opposed to being something that we're not actually based on survival, the survival mode, and that um, maybe. Now we're becoming more consciously aware that there is something else besides just the survival mode? 
Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, these, you know, I called survival mode, you know, anger and aggression and hatred and prejudice and fear and anxiety and pain and suffering and self-doubt and unworthiness and, you know, and hopelessness and powerlessness. Those are, all, all those emotional states are driven by stressful reactions that we memorize over time. Those are the altered states of consciousness. The, the, the normal states of consciousness or what mystics and poets have been talking about for eons is our natural state of being. It's, those, it's love. It's those elevated emotions of gratitude and joy and the excitement of being alive. And so when we break free from the chains of those addictions emotionally and we're no longer um, living in a state of fear or anxiety, the body's liberated. <clears throat> it's liberated from those emotional states and when, that, when the body's liberated from the past of those emotions, what happens is the body moves into the present moment and it begins to be, organize itself very coherently and very orderly. And that is what, that's when we start to fall in love with the present moment. That's when we begin to see possibility that we never saw before because we're no longer viewing the future through the lens or the emotions of the past. This is, this is the moment of self-actualization. Uh, and this is the moment of freedom. And so you cannot attract wealth if you're feeling unworthy or lack. You can't attract joy in your life if you're subconsciously feeling negative or unhappy. You can't attract a person in your life with love if you're not loving yourself because that's not how the law works. So it's not enough to just think it. It's we have to be it. And when we're broadcasting electromagnetically a signature of worthiness or a signature of health or a signature of wealth or abundance, then that's when, in that state of wholeness, that's when the miraculous finds us. It's not like we have to try to make it happen or force it happen. It comes in a way that we least expect, that surprises us, that leaves no doubt that what we did inside of us produced some result outside of us. And, and so that is the process that we have to really make our way with. And as we begin to unmemorize those emotions and habits that block the flow of our authentic divine self, it's trying to move through us, trying to bleed through us and leak out. When we begin to break free from those masks and layers that block that intelligence or flowing through us, that's that's when we begin to have the moment where it begins to become us. It, it, its mind becomes our mind. Um, its nature becomes our nature. And we begin to become more like it. We become more loving because that's its mind. We become more aware. It's a consciousness. It's, it's what it is. We become more giving. That's what it does. You know, we become more willful because it's very willful. And so removing those layers to experience that unified field within us and that wholeness within us now, when we're in that state and we feel it from within us, then we start to experience true unconditional joy, true unconditional love, and we're no longer seduced by the external world to try to make us happy or to bring us pleasure. We're finding it from within us, and that's when we start to experience true freedom. That is so well said. I think that I think that's the central problem. I think uh, most people are having with this whole concept of the law of attraction is that we. You know, we, we've been told to sort of watch our emotions and watch our thoughts and watch our shadow material and make sure there's nothing in there that's going to sabotage us. And, and we're doing all that from a reference point of 
survival. We're doing all that from a reference point of saying, well, I've got to get the, get the external world to bend to way I, I'll, then I'll be okay, instead of recognizing that the central point is for us to become who we are, and after that, we'll know we already had everything, <laughs> you know, that we always wanted. So, And there's a kind of an interesting uh, paradox, too, because yep. imagine if you truly felt whole and truly felt complete. All the things you thought you wanted, you no longer want because you've, you've had your, your, the feelings coming from within you. And the moment you feel that whole and that complete because you're connected to something greater, that's the moment it starts to happen. But, but we have to get to that point of wholeness because... In that level of wholeness, there is no want because there is no lack because the moment you want, you're in lack again. So yes. it's a kind of a paradox, but yet it's the most uplifting feeling I've ever had. Absolutely. So I want to give our listening audience a chance to find out more about how they can connect with you and what you've got going on before we close out for today. We just have a few more minutes left. So can you share that with our audience? Sure. Um, I mean, my website is just drjoedispenza.com, www.drjoedispenza.com. Pretty much everything that, uh, in terms of events and schedules and, and products and things we offer are on the website. We do a lot of workshops around the world. We just got back from New York yesterday. Um, and we do workshops to teach people the tools to begin to apply this, uh, all of this information to their life so they can practice making personal changes and then beginning to create the things they want in their life. And so we have intensive workshops. We have progressive and advancing workshops. Uh, there's a teleclass that I do the last Thursday of every month that's become a very popular um, service. And it's uh, 12 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, it's for about an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes. I develop a concept or an idea. And then we open the phones up uh, for Q&A and uh, uh, and if you can't be on the call, they mail you the, they mail you the MP3 file. Um, the book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, um, How to Lose Your Mind and Create a New One, uh, it actually went to a uh, bestseller in four days, believe it or not, on Amazon. And wow. So, number one on self-help that same week. So, if people are interested in getting the book, they can order it uh, on Amazon, and I think we may have it available on our site as well. Um, but really, my, my emphasis and my greatest joy is to be able to, um, to contribute to people's lives and empower them so they can, they can make their journey uh, uh, in the way that's right for them. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and for talking about your book and for the things that you do to help us all raise our consciousness. Thank you so much. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you, Andrea. Remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 